So before I forget, uh, there is candy cups uh, at the end of every row. Totally forgot last week, and we just had a bunch of candy left over. Uh, So grab that, pass it down. I love going to the movies. Uh, In fact, it's a tradition uh, in our family and my side of the family that on Christmas or Thanksgiving, whenever we gather together, we go to a movie. And so Christmas, a a couple years ago, we saw this movie, Unbroken. Uh, Did anybody else see that movie? couple people, a handful of people. There's some movies, uh, I don't know if you do this, but you're in the middle of the movie and you go, is this a true story or not a true story? Is this fact or is this fiction? And I was, I was watching this movie and, and I knew that it was fact, but I, I kept seeing these scenes and thinking, there's just no way. There's, there's no way this can be true. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this story before, but it's an amazingly powerful true story. It, it was first written about in the, in the book uh, Unbroken by Laura uh, Hillenbrand. And uh, it's an incredible uh, journey there. And then, of course, it came to the big screen a couple of, of years ago. And it's all about this man, Louis Zamperini, uh, this Italian-American that uh, had amazing highs and lows in his life. And just to talk a little bit of his, about his life, he grew up as a young boy in Torrance, California. And he was a mischievous young man until one day he found the track team at his high school. And he had this gift of of running. And he was so gifted at at running that he became, uh, he had the the high school record for the mile for for years and years. That got him onto the Olympic team in 1936 as a 19-year-old going to the Olympics. Does anybody remember where those Olympics were in 1936? 80 years ago, Germany, Berlin. Guess who his roommate was on this trip? Jesse Owens. Uh, He was roommate with Jesse Owens and also another gentleman, Mac Robinson, uh, who is is the brother of Jackie Robinson, was on the team as well. They went on this trip, and he's kind of a prankster, and and, and one of the the accounts he gives is Jesse is assigned to... uh, to Louis to try to keep up with him as a big brother there in Germany on this big trip. And Louis, because Jesse was somewhat famous, uh, an Olympian at this time, he stole the do not disturb sign off of their door, Jesse's door, and people kept knocking, wanting autographs from Jesse throughout the Olympics. But he goes to the Olympics and not much uh, expectations for him, this this young kid. uh, And there are others that were on the track team that were more known. And he's in the 5,000 meters, and he's racing, and on the last lap, he kicks it into high gear and sets a brand new record for that last lap, 56 seconds, so much that the buzz of the Olympics was all about this Louis Zamperini kid. Even though he came in eighth, the, the Fuhrer, the, the Hitler, Hitler at the time, wanted to actually meet Louis because it was that impressive of a feat. And so he he's, has this moment at the Olympics in front of the entire world. And of course, the talk is won four years, Tokyo, and those games, he's going to be the favorite. He is surely going to win gold, but he would never make it to that Olympics. He would never make it to Tokyo in that capacity because the war broke out. World war II broke out. And we know history there. And, and he volunteered to be a part of the war and found himself in the belly of, of a bomber survived not one crash in an airplane, but found himself crashed again, this time in the Pacific. They went out trying to save people that were crashed themselves. And so he finds himself in the middle of the ocean, 
Half his crew is totally wiped out, and he's down, they're down to three men in a raft trying to survive out in the open water. That is the scariest thought I can imagine right there. With no land in sight, no direction in sight, no hope in sight of, of who would come and rescue them. So these three men are out there for days and days, and days actually become months. 47 days he was out in the ocean. 47 days. At one point, a, a, a plane comes overhead and begins to they signal this plane, and what happens instead? The plane actually shoots at them because it's a Japanese warplane. They survive by actually having to catch sharks and eat them and, and birds that would jump onto the, onto the raft. One member of their, their group of three died until the day, on the 47th day, they were rescued. Not by friendly faces, though, but by the enemy, by the, the Japanese uh, war, uh, war boat that, that, that captured them. They were taken to what was known as Execution Islands, where... Basically, they took all war prisoners at the time uh, that were, were kind of high-priority people. They brought them there and began to torture them for information, trying to get any information that they could about United States strategy and, and, and war and different things. And the end was at sight for them. People that went to Execution Island didn't come back. In fact, they were most often beheaded. And so there were multiple days where the day seemed to be set and ready for, to, to be beheaded until someone, one of the guards... One of the Japanese guards recognized this Louis guy. I've seen you before. The people then followed the Olympics a lot better than we did, especially in Japan. And they, he recognized this face, this Louis, that he saw in the newspaper. You were the runner. You're the runner from, at this point, it, it had been five years, I think, there. And they decided that, okay, we're going to use this kid to put out propaganda to America about what's happening in the war. And so they took these two, Louie and Phil, they took them to a POW camp there. And that is where, if things weren't rough for, for Louie, they became just heck on earth. Because there was a, a, the leader of the camp there, a man by the name of Matsushura Watanabe, better known as the bird. He was hated by all of the prisoners at the POW camp and he was even strongly disliked by other Japanese guards because of his cruelty and his violence toward, toward the, the men there. He would torture Louis because he knew that Louis was this famous person. And because of some interpersonal demons of the bird, he would take out these things on Louis, beating him countless times, mental torture that was there at the camp. Louis was taken away to do some radio spots. After a year of, uh, that people thought that he was dead, he went on the radio back to America. There was a recording of his voice saying, Mom and Dad, I'm actually alive. That was the first recording that they wanted him to do. The second one, they wanted to put out this propaganda about the war, and he refused to do it. And when he refused, he went back to the camp, back to the POW camp, back to the bird, where the bird said, you must learn respect. And so he lined up the American men and said, you will punch him or you will die. 212 punches he received that day. And to be honest, I'd love to show you some more of the movie, but I just didn't think it was appropriate for church. There's some things. It was a hard movie to watch. It was a difficult movie to watch as you're watching some of these scenes that are just excruciating that he went through. 
And at one point in, in, the, in the movie, it just looked like he was certainly a goner. He had a, a death day. The war starts to come to an end. America begins to, uh, to finalize the end of the, of the war there. And there's a scene where they usher them out into the water. And there's this word that's been spreading amongst the, gar- uh, amongst the prisoners that they're not going to take any prisoners home, that they're just going to kill everyone. And so they, they're going to take them out into the water and kill them when suddenly they see an American plane. And they figure out that the war is over, that they're going to make it. They're going to survive. This is the crescendo moment of the movie. And woohoo! He's going to make it through all of this two years at the prison camp, 47 days out in the ocean, time after time escaping death. He's going to make it home. He's going to make it home. The bird would, would take off in total defeat and, and fear that is of his life. And Louis went back home. The credits roll. And something happened. As I, I remember walking out of the, the, the theater that day with my, my mom and my sister and my brother-in-law. And they were just kind of this. Usually you go to the movie, especially at Christmas, you want to go like... There really wasn't that feeling, even though there were scenes that were triumphant scenes that were there. We just kind of walked out going, there's, there's got to be the rest of the story. I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey, but the rest of the story. There's a, another part of the, that was a bad impersonation, ah, really bad. I tried. But there's got to be a rest of the story. Sometimes we read books and movies and you got to go, that can't be it. I mean, even when I look at my kids' books, I read, uh, I think it was Snow White the other day, and the prince comes and, and saves Snow White and, 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 and kisses her, and, and they live what? Happily ever after. Do you really believe that? Do you really they believe they lived happily ever after? No problems in the world after that, because Snow White had found her prince, and they just went on forever and never fought and never worried and never had problems, right? Right? Wouldn't you want to like write the alternative book of that? Like what really happened after that? Snow White what, wasn't such a beauty in the morning. She was kind of mean. He was pretty selfish and wanted to spend more time with his friends than with her. Before you know it, they were living in different castles. What's the rest of that story? You know? So I begin to dig around and maybe you've heard Louis' story and his true story because that's not the whole story. That two hours and, and whatever that it was covered. It wasn't enough. So the credits roll. Louis goes back home. He, he comes back to his family. He comes back to his mom and his dad and his brother and his sister. And he looked like this man of steel that had survived just amazing amount of, of, of things that not even 10 lifetimes would be able uh, to endure. He goes on to speak at, at various uh, different shows and talk shows and different like, speaking tours to tell about his story of be, this iron will that he had. On one occasion, his family, come, they come home into the small house that he grew up in, and they said, we have a surprise. We have a recording. That, remember that first recording that you made to tell us that you were alive? We have the actual recording. They begin to play it on, on a record. And as he hears the voice, he begins to shout, turn it off! Turn it off! He goes and he breaks the record, curses to the family and says, I never want to hear that again. He goes back to his bedroom that he grew up in and he begins to dream. 
the same dream that he'd been having since he left the camp. The dream of the bird attacking him, torturing him, beating him, giving him all kinds of of everything for two years. And he could not get the bird out of his dreams or out of his mind. And he began to experience what we now know uh, today as post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he's having these dreams. So what does he do with these dreams? What does he do with this anxiety and this depression and this, this whole part of his life that he has? He does what many people do, what a lot of us do. He begins to self-medicate. He begins to find something to numb the pain. And so he finds the bottle. He begins to drink more and more, not just at night to go to sleep, not just with friends at the bar all night. He begins to drink in the day all the time. He is now drinking. Even in the middle of the speaking tour that he's doing, he's drinking, trying to just numb. And now he's not being tortured by the bird anymore, but he's being tortured by the bottle. And he can't let go of it. He meets a girl one day on Miami Beach. Her name was Cynthia. Beautiful girl. He says he was mentally just struck by her beauty. And within days, they were married. They were married within days. And as soon as she really became a part of Louis's life, she realized that he was a very tortured soul, that he was someone that was living a, a horrible nightmare out. And even though he was, had survived, he was still living in this horror. He tried to get back on his feet and, and, and maybe make the Olympics, possibly run again. And uh, once his, his time started to look a little better and better, and then he had a leg injury that, that wiped him out from ever being able to run Again, one night he's at home. He's, he's asleep with Cynthia by his side. And suddenly the same dreams that have been coming in his, his mind, the same dreams that he was hoping that one day as he was saving money, hoping that I will be able to, he would be able to go back to Japan and hunt down the bird who was in hiding somewhere and to be able to kill the bird. And so he's in this dream. He's dreaming about finding the bird, and he finally finds him, and he chokes the bird. He's choking the bird and strangling the bird, and suddenly it feels very real, and he's sweating, and he wakes up to find that his hands are around his wife, Cynthia's neck. She screams out in horror. Now having a child, a young child, Sissy, takes the baby and says, I've got to get out of this. And she files for divorce. Files for divorce. And he finds himself with no one except the bottle and a lot of demons and a lot of horror. There's a a phrase uh, that, uh, it's a phrase that we don't use very often, uh, but it's a great one. It's called, in one word you recognize, grace. This first word is this, provenient grace. Provenient grace. Now what is that? It's God's active grace in our life before we even put our faith in him through salvation. It's his active grace, his movement toward us in our lives before we even put our trust in him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in the kind of dating phase of my life, uh, I was the worst at asking you know, a girl out. That was not my, I was not very good at that, okay? Uh, I was that guy that we make fun of now with the letter circle, yes, no, or maybe uh, in there. That happened to me several times at church. When I, we, were, we didn't have the front wall, we had the back row where it was a little easier to pass notes under your mom's view. Uh, but that was, it had to be like a sure deal for me to say, 
would you go whatever? And I had to know without a doubt, okay, that her friend told me and her other friend told me that, okay, yeah, she absolutely, and sometimes it even got to the point where she asked me, okay, because I was that blind to the whole process. Now, I'm sure some of you guys in the room, as I look around, you had a lot more game than I uh, did or do, and you're better than that, okay? Some maybe not, as I look around. Uh, but, but, but here's what I'm getting at. God always makes the first move with us. He's been making the first move from the very beginning. And we're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about this unconditional agape love that God has for us. Look at John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God or we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner. Now, some people believe that, okay, once you put your faith in, in God, then, the, then God reciprocates that because that's, quite honestly, the way we operate. When someone loves me, then I will love them back. But that's not God's unconditional love. He acts first. This is what prevenient grace is in our life, that he's acting on our behalf. Do you remember, uh, maybe you saw this at your grandma's or you had this at your house, uh, there was a poem called Footprints in the Sand. You've probably seen that before somewhere, right? Check your head if you have. It's the story about this man who is talking with God and about this journey walking on the beach and he looks back and see, you know, he's seeing these two sets of footprints. But what happens in the darkest, hardest moments of the life? There's only one pair of footprints. God, where were you during those moments? Where were the, the during the hard times where there was pain and there was suffering in difficult places? Where were you, God? And God, what does he say? I was with you the whole time. In fact, I was the one that was, those are my footprints. I was carrying you during the process, during the, the difficult moments. And what happened for Louis is something that we rarely get to do. He begins to look back over his life, the whole story. And he begins to see how God was at work. He remembers back to a conversation that he had with his brothers. He wasn't a believer throughout this entire movie. Louis wasn't, but he remembers God at work in his life. Here's a scene with his brother when he was a delinquent, someone that was stealing and, and running from the cops and had really kind of no future. The whole town knew about this kid, Louie, who was stealing from others. Check out the scene. Did you hear God's voice and his brother's voice? I, I do believe. I'm chasing you. You're not nothing. I see something so much more. If only you knew. If only you knew. And you can almost hear Paul's voice as he says, if only you could, could get a grasp, just a glimpse of God's love for you. It would be life-changing if you knew how much God loved you. If you could just get a little bit of that. And that's our hope here at HFC. We want people to experience God's love, to get just a little bit of that. And when you experience it firsthand, God's unconditional love, we believe that it's life transforming, that it will change your life forever. God's speaking at an early age. Then fast forward a little bit in the ocean, in that, those days, those hours, this excruciating time out in the water in this raft, being shipwrecked out in the, in the water, just 
hoping, looking into the clouds, into the sky. And one night, Louis has a conversation, a real conversation. This isn't a movie conversation. This is a real conversation that he has with Phil, another believer that was the pilot. It's a little bit of a dark scene uh, as far as just being able to see, but you'll be able to, to figure it out as we go. This is them at night in the, in the life raft. Has life circumstances ever pushed you to conversations with God similar to that? I'll do anything. In fact, that's what he said. He didn't know how to pray, but he, he knew that these, these words, Lord, every day he would pray this, God, if you will just get me out of this, if you'll just help me, if you'll just help me, I'll give my life uh, to you, even though he didn't exactly know what he was praying. In the middle of, of moments in life, tough circumstances, as believers, I think it's really easy for us to, to look around and go, why, God? Why, why is this happening? Why in the world is, do we see the headlines that we see today? Evil and darkness and horrible things in the world. And the, the difficult but true answer to that question is this. It's because we live in a sinful, broken world. Sin was introduced to the world and, and awful things have followed because of that. And some of the choices of man have resulted in some of the, the awful things that we see on the headlines. And, and when we go through moments that are difficult in our lives, it's really easy to go, God, you're just not here. You're, you're just not with me. You're just not present. There was a picture, a uh, Today Show, a few months back. Maybe you caught this picture of a mom. Uh, one day, dad comes home and uh, and, and finds uh, mom in the crib, <laughs> in bed, uh, with their brand new uh, baby girl, their first child. And uh, this picture, uh, you know, of course, as good, all good dads uh, would, he posted it on Facebook. And uh, it went viral, uh, whatever that means. Uh, it went out all throughout the country, and uh, interviews followed. And, and the question is, you know, why, why were you in this, this crib with your, your, your baby girl? Why would, you, why would you do that? And on the Today Show, she's sharing a story and, and talking about how she, just a couple of months in uh, to this new life as a parent, trying to figure it all out in the middle of the questions and what's next, she goes, to, you know, ask parents to come in for the very first time to babysit for the young baby. So they go to a worship concert. She didn't say which concert, but she goes to a concert. Then in the middle of the worship concert, there's a missionary that comes up from Uganda, and he begins to talk about his ministry, and he tells a story that leaves a mark on her. She said that, he said that one day he went into this orphanage, and an orphanage where it housed 100 babies, young kids that are under the age of, of one. And he goes into the room, and, and suddenly there's silence. There's not a single sound in the room. And he turns and says, how many babies did you say were here? And, and the lady that was, was helping said, a hundred, a hundred. Why aren't they crying? The young lady says, well, the first day or two when they arrive, they all cry. All of them do. But once they realize about a weekend that no one's coming, the cries stop. And so the mom hears the story. And she goes home and immediately picks up her baby. It says, I make you a promise that I will never, ever, ever leave you. And when you cry out, I will be there. 
And so as I was hearing my daughter in the nights teething and in pain, I couldn't help it. I just had to be with her. As I hear this story, I think about the promise that God has made to us. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that even though, even though difficult days are coming, and we don't, folks, believe that when you become a Christian that that this, all the bad t- things go away, okay? If you just have enough faith, then you just won't have bad things happen. Jesus tells us the opposite of that. He says, there are going to be tough times. There are going to be trials in this life, things that maybe are unpredictable, things that are not within your control, things that you had nothing to do with that will come. But I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will be with you through it all. And he was with God he was with Louis in the boat that day. He was with God. He was with him throughout his life. So, as he thinks about uh, this story, and as we think about difficult things that, that we might encounter, maybe some things that you're going through right now, and as I was thinking about Louis, there is a, a visual picture that the Bible gives us. It's Hebrews chapter 12, and if you have your Bible, you can flip there really quick. It's Paul's writing, and he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And what this passage just gives us this visual of the Olympics. That maybe that scene back in Germany where the, the stadium is full of people. And the chapter before in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. And it talks about all these people that have gone before us. There are people that have gone before us, people that were champions of faith, people that saw amazing things happen in their life. And there are people that, that saw God do amazing things. And there are some people that lived through those and some people that, that died. All people will eventually die. But he says this, there are people that are surrounding you. They're cheering you on this, this faith journey, this, this running that you're doing. So strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up in this race. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by how? Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting us. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus, even in the most difficult moments. So Louis having these flashbacks. He's remembering all these things that if God has been working and been for him all throughout his life, his wife has just walked out the door, but she finds another place to go, and there's an end of the story. And that's the rest of the story. That's the story I wish they would have covered in the movie. That's the part, that's the good news, folks. That's the story of transformation, of a life that's changed because of the good news, the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ. So much so, you heard about the bird. He didn't get a chance to, to meet the bird. You can go on to, online and you can actually see an interview that they did with uh, Watanabe. Uh, and once they saw that he was alive, uh, Louis goes to Japan to try to, to connect and to speak personally with Watanabe. And he, wouldn't, he refused to meet with him out of his shame. And so instead, he wrote a letter, and I have it for you up here. To Matsushura Watanabe, as a result, this is from Louis, as a result of my prisoner uh, war experience under your unwarranted and reasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. 
It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sagamo Prison. I asked then about you and was told that you probably had committed, committed Harry Carey, which I was sad to hear, which is suicide. At the moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Louis Zamperini. And from that moment on, from the moment that he met Christ, he began to tell others about Jesus. He started a camp, Victory Boys Camp, where he would find troubled kids like himself, people that had gone through difficult circumstances in life, boys who were lost. And he began to invest in them, to teach them through, through the mountains, through hiking, through skateboarding as a 70-year-old man, and through the good news of Jesus Christ. He would be an influence on others. And that dream of going back to the Olympics, he never saw that dream of being able to run. But he returned years later with a torch in his hand, running down the streets of Japan back probably almost 20 years ago as he was running down the streets. There he is, Louis Zamperini. In the same town, in the same area where he was a POW, a prisoner of war, he was tortured. He's now smiling, waving the Japanese people with God's love in his heart. Would you do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't know how God's talked to you today through Louis' story, his testimony. Maybe today you would say, as I look back over my life, I see God at work. I have run away from him, not to him. Maybe today is the day that you want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to accept his love. Maybe you need to accept his forgiveness in your life as you look back over the things that, that you've done. You say, God, I want freedom. I want the same kind of freedom that Louis had want the same kind of transformation that Louis had. Maybe that's you today as you're talking to God in your heart of hearts. Maybe you have a face like the bird in your mind, someone that has tormented you in some way, someone that has hurt you deeply. And as you've experienced Christ's love and forgiveness, you know that you need to extend that to this person. Maybe they're, you're in the middle of a situation now, it's the worst situation of your life. And you need to lean into God because He is present in the best moments He is with you and He is present in the worst moments. And you have had your eyes on a whole bunch of different things, but you need to fix your eyes 
on him today and run with him daily and he will get you through. Would you pray with me, God? We thank you so much for this story, this unbelievable story of grace. Lord, we thank you for our story. Lord, every single person in this room has a story. You've seen every moment of our lives from the very beginning. You've been pursuing us. You've been calling us out. You've been fighting for us, hoping, drawing us, Lord, through every circumstances of life. Lord, pray for that person right now who's maybe just run away from that voice, who's heard you through others, through maybe songs or experiences, or maybe through people in their lives. They have, they have heard you, but they've just chosen to ignore you to live their own way, to run their own way. God, I pray right now in a moment of faith as people are praying around this room, Lord, I pray, God, that that those who are like that in this room would accept your love right now. Ask for forgiveness. Pray a sinner's prayer that is so simple and so beautiful. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. You are the Lord of my life. Transform me. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give freedom today, freedom in prayers around this room, that that, that faces would be just, as as they're in our minds right now, God, that forgiveness would come or that that horrible dreams would be stopped or that forgiveness would be given and extended, Lord. God, I pray for that person that needs to have an action step right now. Maybe it is to write a letter. Maybe it is to make a phone call or to to see someone or talk to someone or to have a face-to-face conversation, Lord. God, I pray that you would lead and guide and direct in that way, Lord. God, I pray, Jesus, right now for the person that that is in the water, that feels like life has collapsed. The circumstances are so difficult and so hard and it feels so bleak. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself not only in this moment, but in the days and the weeks to come, Lord. I pray that that we would run to you in those moments, that we would lock in on you, that we would seek you through your word, Lord, that through fellowship of others, Lord, we, we would, Lord, lock our eyes on what you have for us in those days, Lord. I pray that you would carry us, Lord, in those moments. God, you're so good to us, Lord. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that you are not against us, you are for us, even when... We are so far away from you, Lord. You are still fighting for us. God, I pray that we would live in the reality every day. Lord, that we would run with you every day. That we would seek you every day. That we would seek, Lord, your guidance and your direction and your will. Lord, I pray that you would use our brokenness so that others could come to know you, Lord. God, we recognize your grace today. Lord, we thank you for prayers around this room. We lift these things up to you in your precious holy name. Amen.